coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 10th of July, 2022. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. In Galatians 5, we come to a very familiar passage passage concerning the fruit of the Spirit. Before we jump into this passage, I just want to speak a little bit by way of introduction. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, we come to the Ten Commandments. And in those Ten Commandments, there are things like don't steal, don't lie, keep the Sabbath, honor your father and mother. But the first is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And we have a tendency to focus on the lying and the sealing and those kind of things. But I believe the first one is the first one because it's the primary one. It is the heartbeat of all the rest. Because it speaks to the issue of where is God in relationship to me? And where am I in relationship to him? And is he really God? And is he really my God? And do I turn to him in worship? Is he central in my life? Maybe you've heard the little acrostic joy. Jesus, others, yourself. In other words, you go to honor Jesus and then you go to others and then finally yourself in that order. The problem is, how do you ever get away from the first one? I mean, we spend a lifetime in worship and service to the Lord, can't we? And that's the point. As we think on the Ten Commandments and, and uh, its requirement to keep God first place in the life, It has something to say about the statements that are made in Galatians. If you were to go into a Hallmark shop, are there Hallmark shops in left? I don't know if they're hard or not. Um, but if you were going to a card section of the store, let's put it that way, and you would start looking around for cards for different occasions, you will run across words like, joy and love and peace and depending on the circumstances you would find those words so the world is not unfamiliar with the, the the terms that are used here in scripture but the difference between our examination in galatians and the hallmark card section of a store is that the world understands it from their perspective and we come to these words from the perspective of 
First of all, there is a living God. And that he is worthy of my worship, my attention. And I need to listen to him for direction for my life. And so when we come to these words and it says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He's speaking to us specifically as believers from a different perspective than the world would look at those words. It's looking from the perspective of who is involved in manifesting these things in our lives. And it's the living God through the Holy Spirit who sees these things embedded in us and work through us and express outwardly to others. We come to the last three words in this uh, description of the fruit of the Spirit. And as we said, it was one fruit. It's one manifestation of the Spirit with lots of different facets. So I thought it would be good, first of all, just to review the definitions that I've given you for the last couple weeks. If you're interested in, in catching up on those, they are involved. They are uh, online at Sermon Audio, and you can catch up on those. But let me give you these definitions. Love is an unconquerable benevolence. In other words, doing something for others. Joy is the pleasurable reflection on the relationship in Christ. It is not predicated on what's happening in my life. That may or may not bring us uh, pleasure, but it is always going to be pleasurable to look at our relationship in Christ. Peace. It is a tranquility of the soul amid the storms of life. We may comment here that often these qualities are magnified, enhanced because of the terrible situations we find ourselves in and how they are in contrast to those. If you go into a jewelry store and you look at, at uh, fine jewelry, very rarely are they put up against the white background. It's either some dark blue or black that you'll look at a ring and, and the diamond and they got the high intensity lights focused on them. Why? So that those things stand out. Likewise, the fruit of the Spirit stands out in the midst of the troubles and the issues of life. Love, joy, peace. How about patience? We talked about that one as a persistent passion for others, especially when provoked. In other words, someone pushes you away. Say, I don't want to have anything to do with you and your God. And you say, I get that. But I still love you. I'm still coming after you. I still care for you. Kindness. Gentle goodness. 
that is seen as warm and inviting? Are we seen as kind? And then goodness, an expression of virtue. We, we contrasted kindness and goodness because while kindness is good, good isn't always kind. What I mean is because good always wants to do what's right, it isn't seen as very approachable. There's a book out. It's called The Velvet-Covered Brick. <laughs> and that's sort of the idea. Something hard and unmovable and yet covered and approachable. So we looked at these words and we want to deal with the last three. First one is faithfulness. And then gentleness and self-control. The first one is probably the most familiar word outside of love that we'll deal with in talking about this, these descriptions on the fruit of the Spirit. It is a word that we are well familiar with because it, it is the same word that is used when we talk about a person who believes, someone who has faith, someone who trusts. We use those three words pretty much interchangeably. Someone who trusts, someone who has faith, and someone that uh, believes. This word is probably the most common outside of the word of love. To give you a definition, faithfulness then is rooted in this word and it has to do with a line, being a, a life aligned with truth that leads to trustworthiness. In other words, it is a life that says, I'm going to operate according to the standard of what God's word has to say. And because I am operating by that standard and I remain steadfast in doing that, I become trustworthy. You can take me at my word. By the way, if there is a prayer that you want to lift up for your pastor, this is the prayer. Because you break trust, then the message goes out the window. So be praying for me that I remain true to God's word and thus trustworthy, worthy of placing trust. This is a word, though, not just for pastors. This is for all of us. It is the idea of something that is true. It's, it's not separate from truth. You think about it, if... If I said um, anything, I am going to uh, bring a dozen eggs to the men's breakfast on Friday. So no one else buys any eggs. What are they expecting? Expecting me to buy a dozen eggs and bring them to the men's breakfast. What happens if I don't? We only have grits. 
No eggs. Okay. I said, well, what were you? You said, well, can I really depend on you then? Well, the question is, did I speak the truth? I said I was going to do that. Did I do it? Well, no. Well, then you didn't speak the truth. And so I can't place my faith in you. You are not trustworthy. You are not faithful to keep your word. So we see this in the book of Lamentations, verses 22 and 23 of chapter 3. And of course, I know that you were probably reading Lamentations for your devotion this morning. But anyway, it says, A steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Anyway. The Lord is faithful. And then the call is on our life to be the same. Someone who can rely on us, not only to keep our word, but our word is centered on speaking the truth. Speaking the truth. The world might understand faithfulness as reliable. Someone who's going to do what they're going to what they said they're going to do, and that in part is true, but they may not be doing the right thing. And so they can't be counted as faithful because they are faithless in the sense that they're doing something contrary to truth. I love this promise that God gives us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when dealing with the temptations and the trials of life. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, everybody's in the same boat. We face temptation, one sort or another. Then his response to this, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted upon you tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do you know what's a sad commentary on our spiritual condition? If this verse is true, and I believe it is, then every temptation that we come up against, God has given us a door out. So, when we succumb to temptation, what does that say? We have rejected that exit. I think I'd rather stay here and enjoy this temptation. And God goes, you don't have to, here's the way. We go, but do you know how good this is? And he goes, I know how bad it is for you. But the point is, there's never a time when we're in a situation that God hasn't provided a way out. A way out. And as we said, it's based on truth. So when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, 
He was talking about someone who is the highest example of faithfulness. Command is given to us in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, where it says, Moreover, it is a requirement of stewards that they be found faithful. Think of it as a master sending a servant out to do a job. What good is if if he doesn't know if the guy is going to do what he was told to do? Does the servant do it, or does he need to go and be checked up on all the time? It's wearisome. Wearisome. That's why I think the story of Potiphar in the Old Testament with with Joseph is, is such a resounding statement about faithfulness. When Joseph was sold into slavery and then into Potiphar's house, he could have been a angry young man because look at what my brothers did. He could have been worthless as a slave. But what do we see is just the opposite. That as he goes about not being beaten down by the circumstances of life, but responding to his relationship to the living God, he trusts God that God is in this, even though it didn't look like it. And pretty soon Potiphar goes, you know, everything I give to Joseph to do goes well. And, and I'm prospering. So maybe I'll give a little bit more to Joseph. And then he gives a little more and a little more pretty soon. He says, why don't you just run everything? Whatever is happening, Joseph would never have been put in that position if he wasn't faithful. So in the midst of the hard things in his life, having been sold into slavery by his brothers, Serving now as a slave when he was the beloved son before. Now he's a slave in a foreign land with a foreign language. Trying to come up to speed. Instead of bitterness welling up within him. What came out? Faithfulness. Was something he could do. And in practicing I believe the fruit of the Spirit, even though it wasn't talked about in the Old Testament, as he's practicing this relationship with his living God, it is witnessed and seen by Potiphar and his household, and pretty soon Joseph is in charge of it all. By now, I put in this outline provision. And I put it for each one of the words, but you can just fill in the blank. You know what the provision is. This is the Holy Spirit who gives us these qualities and manifests them in our life is the same one who empowers us to do them. So whether we have a scripture or not that says, and the Holy Spirit empower you to be faithful, 
It's exactly what we know is true. That's why in Galatians, when it says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, that truth is so important because when we're filled with the Spirit, we're under the Holy Spirit's control, these things manifest themselves. Faithfulness. Gentleness is the second word that's found in our passage. Gentleness. To tell you the truth, it is a relatively rare word that's found in our scripture. And it's kind of tough to translate it. It isn't just, I mean, we translate it as gentle, but it's sometimes translated as meek. And if we put meekness against gentleness, we go, they don't look alike. And yet that's, those words are used to translate the Greek word that's found in this passage. So I'm going to give you a definition and try and break down my own definition. How's that? Gentleness is a meekness born of humility. Gentleness is a meekness born of humility. I ran across this statement and I go, that's what, sort of what I was trying to, to formulate in my own head, but somebody else came up with it ahead of time, so I'm going to read it to you. It says, the patient and hopeful endurance, this is for meekness, the patient and hopeful endurance of undesirable circumstances identifies a person as externally vulnerable and weak, but inwardly resilient and strong. In other words, if someone is looking at someone who is gentle, you may think, oh, that person's a pushover. They couldn't stand up against anything just because they're being kind and they come with a humble attitude, and you go, that's not a warrior. <laughs> and you go, it didn't come across as a warrior here. But the idea behind meekness, and that was a word used in the Old Testament to describe Moses as a meek person. We go, Moses, have you ever seen Charlton Heston on the Ten Commandments? go, there's a, a guy who's going to be the leader of the pack, right? But the idea here is says that inward is resilient and strong because he's coming from a position of understanding and knowledge concerning his relationship with God. We talked in Sunday, Sunday school this morning. By the way, if you weren't in Sunday school, I was talking about morning service, and so now I have to return the favor talk about Sunday school. We talked about the difference between our position in Christ and our spiritual condition. Our position, having placed our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, is set. We are a child of God. We are redeemed. 
we are reconciled, we are justified, all those things are true. And over here, <laughs> we're trying to see those lived out in it. <laughs> in our life, we're trying to see those qualities manifested. But a person who is meek understands this over here and understands himself over here. He goes, how did I get this over here? He says, only because of the grace of God. Only because God loved me and has shown mercy to me is how I'm a child of God and have a right standing. So when I approach someone else, it isn't because I've done so much for God, God had to let me into heaven. <laughs> no. It's over here is with understanding that I have a powerful position, but it came by way of grace. And so now I have a strong standing, but I'm approachable. Why? Because I know I didn't get there on my own. It was because of him. So I can be tough, resilient, strong, whatever word you want, inwardly, but outwardly, seem as, well, he's not so hard to approach. He doesn't, he's not off-putting. And there we have the idea of gentleness. A meekness born of humility. <laughs> I love the example in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. And we know that Corinth was a church that had multiple problems. In fact, if you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you go, and now concerning this, and what he means is another problem, and now concerning this. And now concerning this. And he's addressing these issues that have come up in the church there in Corinth. And he goes, he writes this. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in the spirit of gentleness? He says... Do I have the power and authority as an apostle of God to bring it down on you? Yep. But you really want that? Or do you want me to come in a spirit of gentleness? Let me ask you a question. <coughs> if you were going to be taught by somebody, what do you want in a teacher? Do you want somebody who is knowledgeable, right? Has some skill, whatever it is, they're going to teach you. Someone who's going to give it to you straight, right? But you know the learning process involves starts and stops and bumps along the way and learning whatever you're going to learn. How do you want to be treated when you foul up? With gentleness. <laughs> Go easy on me. Help me along. That's what I want. I want someone just... Not to say 
you're never wrong. I'm wrong, yes. Go ahead and correct me, but do it kindly, please. Help me get to where I need to go. Just don't lambast me and whack. Paul writes to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy. He's writing this message to his son in the faith. And he's talking about his role as a minister in the church. And he says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, Correcting his opponents with gentleness. Even his opponents with gentleness. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. Well, I could press on, but we got another word to cover. The next one is self-control. Probably has the idea, Plato said, use it to describe self-mastery. It is the idea when a person just doesn't act on his emotions and feelings, but is controlled for the purpose of attaining a purpose. So I'm going to give you a definition. Self-control is the purposeful Disciplined mastery for the purpose of glorifying the Lord. In other words, I'm going to be able to say no to myself in order that the Lord might be glorified. I'm going to give you two examples. Um, both, both of them found in 1 Corinthians. One, he uses the illustration of an athlete. Think in terms of someone who's going to go to uh, the Olympics. Now, what do we expect of an Olympian? Well, probably he's gone through some sort of process in his home country to get to the place where he's sent as an ambassador for that country. The larger, more powerful the nation with more contestants, the more the refining process went on to the place where they would send only the best of the best Then there was Eddie the Eagle. I don't know if you ever watched Eddie the Eagle. They have this huge ski jump. Fly way out and land. I think it was for England. I remember correctly. Forgot to check that part. But anyway, his country wasn't sending anybody for that particular sport. And so Eddie goes, I'll go. And so they sent him. And so here's all these athletes who have been training and training and training. Here's Eddie the Eagle going down. You go, I don't think he has it quite mastered yet. The word here is self-control. 
is purposefully disciplined mastery for the purpose of glorifying the Lord. He said, Lord, I am going to say no to some things and yes to other things because my ultimate goal is glorifying you. In the illustration, 1 Corinthians 9.25, says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive perishable wreath. And by the way, that was the term that was used for a gold medal back in those days. But we, an imperishable. Imperishable. We're doing this as unto the Lord. But the word is used in another way, also in 1 Corinthians. And if you know anything about 1 Corinthians, you'll know something of the context. If I say chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, because he's talking about physical relationships between a man and a woman. And Paul admonishes them to get married if they can't have self-control. He says, if they cannot exercise self-control, chapter 7, verse 9, they should marry. In other words, the context here is, what do you do with all those sexual desires? What do you do with all those drives? What do you do with all those hormones? What do you do with all those? And Paul says, you're not an animal. Bring them under control. Bring them under control. Can't do that. Then go about manifesting those desires and passions by getting married and express it in marriage. But he says, the idea that I just had to do that is wrong. He says, if they cannot accept exercise self-control they should marry it's better to marry than to burn with passion so we have this picture of what self-control is it is actually a word that is used in Titus 1 to describe the leaders within the church must be hospitable lover of good self-controlled upright holy disciplined so now we come to having completed these nine statements about what the fruit of the Spirit is. And he says this, against such things there is no law. In other words, there is no law saying you shouldn't love. There's no law saying you shouldn't practice self-control. There's no law that says you shouldn't be faithful. These are the kind of things that you want to see. And for a believer, the very manifestation of the work of God in the person's life. So how do we respond to this as believers? We say, Lord, if these things are going to be true of me, I need to be controlled by the one who manifests these things in me and empowers me to do them 
Lord, fill me now. Fill me now. And that command in Ephesians 5.18 is a command that is given to be done over and over and over again. We don't get saved and say, Lord, fill me, and away we go. It is a process of saying again and again and again. I want to affirm whether I have walked away or not from your, your direction and commands, whether way I, I've done that or not, I just want to affirm you're the boss, you're in control. Lead me and guide me and empower me to do what you call me to do. What a beautiful, beautiful declaration of the character and nature of God in the life of a believer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it would have been enough if you would have loved us and sent us your Son. And even as an expression of love for him to die on the cross, be buried, and then you raise him again. But not only did you demonstrate your love in such a practical way, but you reached into the heart and soul of individuals, myself included. It made me see myself in your eyes with my sin, in need of a Savior, and you gave to me by your grace, through faith, eternal life. And it would be enough then to have the promise of heaven, but you weren't done with us. You've given us the Holy Spirit to minister in our hearts and lives until we see you face to face. He is the earnest of our inheritance. He is the empowerer of our spiritual lives. And Heavenly Father, by your grace, we can tap into it by yielding to the Spirit and see you manifest these qualities in our life. And to that end, we are abundantly thankful. We give thanks in Jesus' name.